My friends, today is Thanksgiving Day. And the importance of gratitude and thanksgiving in our life is hard to overestimate. In fact, uh, I would submit to you this, uh, this morning that even uh, without turning to Scripture, just using your own mind, you can, you can understand and you can come to an understanding of the importance of gratitude in your life. My friends, you cannot be happy and you cannot be good if you are not grateful. Now think hard with me a minute here. You cannot be happy. Now that's the easiest one, right? By definition, a person who is ungrateful is unhappy. I think that doesn't need to be explained, right? If you, if you wake up in the morning and you say, I, I want this, or, uh, or, or you complain about something, then clearly you're not happy. Now I'm not saying that such a complaining is never unjustified, Right? But by definition, a ungrateful person is an unhappy person. I think that's clear. But not only can you not be a happy person, you cannot be a good person if you don't have gratitude. You cannot be a good person. Why? Well, because if, along with the feeling of uh, ingratitude or, or not uh, being thankful for things, is this sense of being a victim of circumstances. That lead you and that give you justification to be unhappy, to be ungrateful. You've suffered some wrong. And along with that sense of being unjustly treated or being a victim of some circumstances comes a degree of resentment and anger, right? These, these things feed into each other. And where there's ingratitude, there's bound to be this sense of victimhood, which is going to definitely lead to resentment, to anger, and even hatred. In fact, uh, one, one scholar who I read on this said that if you look in the history of the world, the reason people do harm to each other is almost always based on some sense of ingratitude and of being unjustly and unfairly treated by someone else. And on the flip side, when we do feel great gratitude, when our hearts are overflowing with thanksgiving to people and to God, What does that do to you? Well, it's only human, my friends, that when we feel this sense of gratitude in our hearts, when our minds are overflowing with thanksgiving, right along with that feeling comes this sense that you want to do something in return. Whatever it is that you're grateful for, right, you feel like you should give something back. That's that's a normal feeling. So, when we feel ungrateful, we feel a sense of victimhood, which leads to resentment and to malice and to anger. But on the other hand, when we feel grateful, we tend to feel love. We tend to feel a desire to give back. And we are good. That's what we mean. I know good is a very broad term, isn't it? But that's what we mean by good. And you can't be good if you are not grateful. I think this is one of the reasons why I get so frustrated with the whole, uh, the whole political scene. Right? Because what, what do politicians do to us? First of all, they have to make you afraid. And they work on that. That's their goal. Day in and day out. They make you to fear and to tremble. But they also want to make you ungrateful. They want you to feel a sense of bitterness. They want you to be dissatisfied with your situation. 
That's how politics moves forward, right? That's how people get elected. And so you find that, don't you, that the more you listen to the radio, the more you watch political videos on YouTube, the more you listen to the podcasts and the talk shows of our day, what happens? The natural sense of gratitude that you should have when you see all the blessings that we enjoy is replaced with a sense of resentment and with anger and with a desire to be a warrior for justice and for truth in society. You've been wronged. That's what politicians tell us. You deserve better. Listen to that. Why, that's just fuel for our ingratitude, isn't it? It's, it's throwing fuel on the fire of our own natural selfishness and our own natural anger. That's why I think you need to turn that stuff off. And I think in colleges, it's much the same way. In colleges and many high schools today, they teach you how to identify your victimhood. Where is it that you particularly have been wronged? And in fact, colleges will even help you find the intersection Right? You've heard of intersectionality. That's a wonderfully flourishing discipline now in colleges where they'll even teach you how you're, you probably have more than one uh, grudge against society, right? And these things intersect, right? And they give you even more status and claim to fame in our, in our day. My friends, the Christian worldview teaches us something very different, doesn't it? All this was just using our minds, right? This is just thinking through these things. But what does the scripture say? What does God say? Well, he put in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. And remember that when God commands a negative, he always commands the positive as well. So thou shalt not covet means thou shalt be thankful. Thou shalt be content with what thou hast and be thankful and grateful for it. And you might say God put at the beginning of the Ten Commandments, The most important thing, right? You shall have no other gods before me. And at the end of the Ten Commandments, he put something that you might say also kind of brings it all together, right? You shall be grateful. And so, my friends, it's such a wonderful gift every year again to come into God's house and to think about gratitude, to think about being thankful. It is so critical. It is such a critical part of our life and walk with God. And the the process of sanctification, it can't move forward, my friends, if we don't look at this particular aspect of our life and our walk. Gratitude. It is absolutely critical. Well, my friends, God gave the Israelites a particular way then of expressing their gratitude to God. And that was the peace offering. God gave them the peace offering. Now, if you would turn in your Bibles with me, and I just want to quickly show you this. I'm not sure if you have these subheadings in the Pew Bible there. Let me check a minute. Yes, you do. So in Leviticus 1, you see that God gives Israel the law of burnt offerings. In Leviticus 2, you have the law that pertains to the grain offerings. Leviticus 3 is the law of the peace offering. And Leviticus 4 is the law of the sin offering. So here we have four different kinds of offerings. Burnt offering, grain offerings, peace offerings, and sin offerings. And the distinction between these offerings is important. 
the law of the burnt offering, so the very first one that you have in Leviticus 1, this is when an animal was placed on the altar and the entire animal was offered up to God. The entire animal. Now, the important thing to remember that anything that goes on the altar in these sacrifices belongs to God. That's why it's placed on the altar. It's placed on the altar and it's burned and it ascends up to God. So in the burnt offering, it's a picture of our whole scale surrender of ourselves to God. The whole offering, the whole animal is placed on the altar and offered up to God. Now, in chapter 2, you have the grain offering, which was not a bloody offering. It did not involve the death of an animal. I always compare this to what we put in the collection plate when it comes around. But when we come to Leviticus 3, we come to the peace offering. Now, let's note what happens here in the peace offering, how it is different from the uh, other offerings. You'll notice that the that the uh, in verse 2, he shall lay, that is the man who brought this offering, he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood around on the altar. So you can imagine how that went, right? This animal was led in, and the man placed his hands upon the head of that offering, whether it was a, 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 a cow or whether it was a sheep or whether it was a goat. He laid his hands on that animal, right? And then the priest came and struck it dead. He, he gashed open its throat and the blood poured out, right? What a, what a thing to see. And then the priest took some of that blood and sprinkled it around the altar. But then notice in verse 3, from the sacrifice of the peace offering, so there's this dead animal, he shall present an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. So all those elements, all those parts of the animal are to be removed. And the priest then takes those parts of the animal and lays them on the altar and offers that up to God. You might say that is God's portion of the feast. This is God's plate. May I put it that way? This is God's portion. And the choicest part of that animal are taken off all the fat and placed on that altar and offered up to God. Now one of the things about these Offerings is that you have to move to different places. So we have to move to Leviticus chapter 7 to find what happens to the rest of these peace offerings. If you go to Leviticus chapter 7, we read more instructions about how this is to be done. Because God is to be given his portion. We saw that, the, the, the different parts of that animal. So not the whole animal was placed on the altar, just those parts listed in Leviticus 3 and verse 3. But in Leviticus 7 and verse 31, we find that... The priest shall offer up the fat in smoke on the altar, but the breast shall belong to Aaron and his sons. Leviticus 7 and verse 31. You shall give the right thigh, so the breast, you shall give the right thigh to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. The one among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat, the right thigh shall be his as his portion. So the priest gets his portion and the rest of it then was eaten by the people who brought the offering. So you can see what's happening at these peace offerings, can't you? It's a feast. It's a meal. It's a meal that's prepared. God has told the Israel, these are the parts that you are to give to me, right? Listed for us in Leviticus 3. 
This is the part that is to be given to the priest, the breast and the thigh. And everything else is yours. And so then there is this meal. So you can imagine, my friends, that in the temple, or it, it, could, it didn't have to be in the temple, it could be in the city of Jerusalem generally, uh, there would be this feast, this meal. And God would receive his portion. The priest would receive their portion. And the offerer would receive his portion. And this meal then took place. And the beauty of this meal, my friends, the great privilege of this meal is that God had a place at the table. And the peace offering was a joyous, happy occasion. It was a time of peace, a time of shalom, right? You know the Hebrew word. A time of peace and joy and prosperity. A time of giving thanks to God for his blessings to, to, the, to, the, per, to the person who brought the offering, right? And a, uh, and, a, and, a, and a celebration then of the goodness of God. This is a peace offering. Now, you can't help, of course, but see the parallels between that and our own day of Thanksgiving and the wonderful meal that we enjoy on Thanksgiving. But before I move then to that, let me just point out to you in Psalm 50 that God points out, he gives a caution to the Israelites. In Psalm 50 and verse 13, let me back up to verse, verse 12. Verse 12, Psalm 50 and verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, says God. For the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Now the teaching of that passage, my friends, is just this, that we must not think in a crass literalistic kind of way, right, that God needs food, right, or that we need to give God a plate of food, or that if God is hungry, we need to serve him up food, right? Here is God cautioning the Israelites not to misuse the picture that is given here, right? This is a a figure, it is a picture, it is not a literal thing, okay? God doesn't want these people to think that he's going to eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats, right? And then in verse 14, God says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In other words, offer up your peace offerings. But please don't think that somehow this offering is my food. Right? See the picture for what it is, right? It's a joyful celebration of thanksgiving between God, the priest, and the offerer. So that is the caution that is given. Now, my friends, I come then to make some points of application on this peace offering. As we think about having our own peace offering, Today, on Thanksgiving Day. And my first point of application is this order. It's important to notice the order that takes place here. Remember that before this animal was killed and divided up, and each person got his portion, my friends, the offerer had to come, and he had to lay his hand upon that animal. And the priest had to strike that animal with his knife and pour out its blood on the ground. And that teaches us a very important thing, my friends, that we must remember on a day of thanksgiving. And that is before we can sit down at a thanksgiving feast, before we can gather with our families and give thanks to God for what he's done for us, our guilt and our sin must be dealt with. And in every single sacrifice, except the grain offering, in every single bloody sacrifice, this symbolism took place. And before that animal was killed, The man had to lean on that animal. In other words, 
the guilt and the sin of this man, which clung to him, was transferred by the laying out of hands to that animal. And when that took place, and by the way, it wasn't just that the man laid his hands. The Jews are very precise about this. The man actually had to lean. He had to lean on that sacrifice. He had to lean on that animal. He had to put put his weight on it. And then that knife came and flashed through the air. And that animal's blood was poured out on the ground. The innocent animal struck down and killed in place of the guilty person. You see, God cannot have a guilty person come into his courts, into his temple, and offer up a sacrifice. And that teaches us a very important lesson, a critical lesson, my friends, that before we come to the Thanksgiving feast, our sin must be dealt with. It teaches us an important lesson, my friends, that if we sit down at a Thanksgiving feast with sin still on our hands and our guilt not crossed out by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then our Thanksgiving feast, our peace offering, is an abomination to God. It's a stench in his nostrils, as it says elsewhere in Scripture. God says, I won't smell it. Notice how in Leviticus 3 it talked about the sacrifice being a soothing aroma. A soothing aroma. Well, that's a very different thing from a stench, from an abomination to God. You cannot come into God's presence with sin on your hands. And who here this morning, my dear friends, has no sin on their hands? If you're a Christian this morning, you know that you have guilt on your record. That you've committed enough sin to send you to hell forever and forever. But my friends, the preaching of the peace offering and the preaching of all the offerings this morning is that there is a spotless Lamb of God who shed His blood that our guilt and sin might be taken away. There is room in that sacrifice for you. And that no sin is too great to keep someone away from the temple of God, from coming into God's presence. But it must be dealt with, my friends. It must be dealt with. There must be faith in the Savior. And faith, why, that's just leaning on Jesus. That's just putting your hands upon the sacrifice of Jesus and saying, my guilt to him and his righteousness to me. That first, my friends, that's why I say we have to first talk about the order. Even on a Thanksgiving day, do you say, do you have to bring up sin on a Thanksgiving day? Yes! My friends, sin is a terrible thing, and God will deal with it. It must, God's justice must be satisfied for our sin. And so even on Thanksgiving day, we have to bring sin into the equation. And the beauty of the gospel, my friends, is that there is a spotless lamb of God, a lamb without blemish, who shed his blood, that our sin might be removed. And so I call you, my friends, Today, that first, before we sit down at our feast, we lay our hands on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we say, his guilt, my guilt to him, and his righteousness to me. Our sin must be dealt with. But then let us move on to my second point, my friends. And that is, we must give God his portion. When our guilt has been cleansed, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin. And when we sit down at our feast rejoicing in the glad news of the gospel, then in the second place, my friends, I ask you to give God his portion. To give God his portion. 
Just as in that peace offering, the Israelites were instructed to take the fat and the, the lobe of the liver and the kidneys and whatever else is listed there. They had to place that on the altar and to offer it up to God. And so, my friends, I ask you this morning that you give God a place at your thanksgiving table. That you offer up to God the sacrifice of thanksgiving. What do we offer up to God? I listed some of them for you here. The first one is our heart. In Psalm 51:15, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. How many of us will offer up such a sacrifice today to God? A broken spirit and a contrite heart. My friends, has God humbled you in the past year? Has God led you to see his dependence upon him? Then take that broken heart and offer that up to God. That's an acceptable sacrifice to him. That truly is a soothing aroma. Our bodies, in in Romans 12, verse 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Our bodies, my friends, with all their sicknesses, with all their weaknesses, with all the health issues, maybe the strength that we have as a young man, or the weakness that we have as an older person, offer up your bodies unto God a living sacrifice sacrifice. My friends, we took a collection already. We had the envelopes and the different causes that were listed there that we could give to, and and those also are a sacrifice. We read in Philippians 4, verse 18, Paul writes, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. You see, the Philippians had taken a collection. And they had sent the money to Paul via Epaphroditus. And now Paul says, that money that you sent to me is an odor. It's a smell. It's that soothing aroma that ascends up to God. It is a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. And finally, worship. Worship. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. By him, that is by Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate, or to fellowship, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And so the sacrifice of praise, my friends, we don't have an altar here. We don't lay animal body parts on it and burn them to God, right? But we do have a piano. And we do have our voices. And we worship God in song. And that too, is a soothing aroma to God. It is pleasing. It is acceptable in His sight. And so I ask you, my friends, today again, is there a, does, does God have a place at your Thanksgiving feast? Do you give God His portion? That's also part of this peace offering. It's part of our Thanksgiving feast to give God His portion. I love that verse in Revelation 3 where God says to the church in Laodicea, and He says it to our church this morning, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup, will eat with him and he with me. What a precious thing that would be, my friends, if today we would sit with God and sup and eat with him. He stands ready to come also to your feast. Give him his place, dear church. Give God a place at your thanksgiving feast. And in the last place, my friends, in the third application that I have here, look at that lovely quote from the good old Puritan, Matthew Henry, thanksgiving is good, 
but thanks living is better. You know, I, I've just read from Hebrews 13, 15, and there's one word there that caught my eye. It says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Do you remember what that next word was? Continually. Let me read it again. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. It's wonderful to have a Thanksgiving day. But my friends, as I began the sermon, God expects us to have a heart of gratitude every day. This is something we need to cultivate in our life. I ask you, my friends, if we got up in the morning and said to ourselves more often, I'm thankful for this, would our life change if we woke up every morning and said, I want this? Of course, it would change, wouldn't it? But God gives us so much, my friends. We don't live in North Korea. We don't live in the Congo, right? Where they, again, like I said already, they they wake up every morning with one goal, to try to make it to the end of the day with enough food in your belly. There, maybe I would preach the sermon a little differently. But congregation, in our time of unparalleled prosperity and abundance, how much it behooves us to live lives of thanks living. Thanks living. To intentionally, that means to make it part of a, a real purpose on your, uh, in your heart and in your life, to be grateful. To reject the society that on all sides is, is drowning us in this information, in this call to be ungrateful, to be angry, to resent, to feel injustice, and all these things. But congregation, let us march to a different standard. Let us cultivate thanks living. And how can we do that? How can we do that? We talked about giving God a place at our table, but my friends, I can't help but think about the peace offering and what it ultimately points to. That in the future, God will spread a table. My friends, what a wonderful thing at our Thanksgiving feast when we can give God a place at our table. But there's a day coming, my friends. And now hear me, there's a day coming when God will give us a place at his table. If we're trusting in in Jesus, the Savior, and walking with him, God says, I will give you a place at my table. He said in the book of Revelation, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Oh, my friends, what a blessing it is on a Thanksgiving day to have such an invitation and by faith to accept it and to know in my heart that I have a place in heaven. I have a place at the master's table. I have a place at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And whatever hardship I may go through in this life, and I saw hardship this week, my friends. I saw heartbreaking hardship in the life of our own members, of our own church, as they grow older, and as their bodies decline, and as they fall, and as, they, as, they, as their mind grows weaker. And yet, my friends, even for these people, and certainly for you as well, they have a place at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, is that something to give thanks for? I ask you, my friends, this morning, whatever you may be going through in your life, whatever burden you may be carrying, do you have a place at the marriage supper of the Lamb? And if you have a place there, is that not reason enough to give thanks? The hope that God gives you, the hope that can never make us ashamed? Well, my friends, I hope that we can then cultivate a life of thanks living because we're pilgrims on our way 
to another city. And this earth is not our home. We're going to a place where God has spread a table. And he says, blessed are those who have a place at this table. May God give us that kind of peace and joy, no matter what we might face in life, to live a life of thanksgiving. I remember a professor at the seminary who in his prayer one time made a striking expression. He said, Lord, let my life be a hymn of thanks to you. May God give us that life, my friends, that happy life, for his name's sake. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we do pray that our lives would be a hymn of praise to you. And as we sit down, O Lord, today at a feast, I pray that you would have a place at our table, that it would not just be a feast where we eat and are satisfied and where we enjoy time with family and friends, but that we might consciously, intentionally, and purposefully reflect on all the goodness that you've richly poured out upon us, and that we would offer up our hearts to you, Lord, as a sacrifice of thanksgiving that you would have a place at our table, and that it would be a soothing aroma, acceptable and pleasing in your holy sight. Lord, will you remember us then this day? Keep us close to you. Glorify your grace in our lives and in us and through us. And to you be all the glory from this time forth until that great day, Lord, when we may sit down at your table. At that table, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, what a hope and what a joy that fills us with in all the hardships that we may experience in this life. And these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, let's turn in our blue hymnal now to number 316. And let's sing, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things has done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. So we'll sing the three verses of Now Thank We All Our God, number 316 in the blue hymnal.
Receive now the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.